Now, preparing to hear from the word, I have a speaker today, and I'm excited for all of us to hear from him. He doesn't know I was going to say any of this, but I'm going to give his name now. His name is William Branch. Uh, he goes by Deuce. But here is why I'm excited for this. Me and him have been meeting, and I told him that a lot of what I, who I am now, early on, God was using, it was his preaching that I heard that started shaping and challenging me when he was pastoring in Philadelphia. And as we've been meeting, the one thing that I continue to recognize that there is a love and a passion for Jesus. That's coming out off the top. And I just want to continue to be around people that's going to stir my affections for Christ. And so I know if my affections are stirred, family, I know that your affections will be stirred as you hear from Brother Branch. So Deuce, come and open the word for us, brother. Amen. Thank you much. Ooh. Reconciliation. How art thou? How's it going? We're off to a good start. Rich prayer. Minds being turned toward the nations. What God is doing. What we want God to do. Rich praise and worship. Heart being turned heavenward. The one whose name is hallowed. We've joined in in singing. One of the signs of being filled with the Spirit is that we sing with one another psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Amen. Uh, so that's what we've been doing. Thank you all for, who, for leading us in that. Thank you for having a stranger and trusting your pastor to bring in a stranger. That's what the word hospitality actually means, right? Open your door to strangers. Uh, I'm a stranger. Uh, but let me just let you know, I'm related by the blood. Uh, I'm one of your own. Yeah. Uh, if your father is our father who art in heaven, we're related. We're kinfolk. <laughs> I don't even use that term, but I figured I would just to make you do what you just did. Kind of say, oh, this guy's all right. <laughs> and I just want to let you know that I am grateful to be here. Um, right. I'm just, you know, breaking the ice. And some of you are saying, get on with it. I will. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for the God you are. I want to thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to thank you for sending your spirit to reside in us, be in us and with us. I thank you, Lord Jesus, having become rocked off of you through the Gospels, I thank you that the Spirit of God is a comforter like you. <laughs> you didn't send us second rate. You didn't send us a portion. You sent us a comforter who is like you. What the apostles had bodily we experience through the indwelling presence of the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so now as we're praying that you will create chemistry among the preacher and the people of God. And that they would sense that you are in our midst reminding us that we are family. 
that this family has been purchased by the blood of the Lord Jesus. And he would not have shed his blood for anything that would be inferior to what he's designed us to be. Help me, Lord, now as I open your word for your name's sake and for the sake of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a saying, it's better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it. Nowhere can this be more, I guess, agreed upon than if you buy something that's good today, you just hope that it'll be good tomorrow. I hate having the option of buying insurance. I buy a flight, I like the price. It's really all I have. Then they'll say, would you like insurance just in case something in the future happens? And I hate it because there's been times when I needed it and didn't have it. Too many times I had it but didn't need it. Got me always gambling. Same thing with insurance when you rent a car. It's times when I'm thinking, should I get their insurance? Or should I use my insurance? I'd rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it. I think it's a principle. This is a principle about not only the need to get what you need, but to have protection because you don't always know what you're going to need. I think our prayer today, the portion of prayer today, is a portion that actually carries on what we've read when we get forgiveness of sins. I have it. Then the Bible tells us that we ought to now pray not about what we have, but about what we're going to need. The Bible actually tells us that forgiveness of sins is what they call curative. Something that God can do about sins that you did. And now today we get to look at what we get to pray that's protective for the sins we're going to commit. I've heard it said that Christians don't sin as much as they want. They sin more than they want. We hate how much we sin if you're a real Christian. So you don't just sin as you know, as much as you want. Oh, you can just sin as much as you want because you believe that once you save, then you're secure. Well, no, but I will say this. I do sin more than I want. But the Bible doesn't say I get to sin as much as I want. But one of the things that protects us is not just the fact that we have received forgiveness, but that we also have protection for what we're going to do even if we hate the fact that we're going to do it. Our text today leads us to a phrase. And what we want to do is we want to look at the nature of this request, the need for this request, and the necessity of God answering this request. So join me. We're in Matthew chapter 6, and I'll start with 12 and run right into 13, which was what I was assigned. Matthew 6, 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and what we had. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us.
from evil. The nature, the nature of this request. What kind of request is this? This is kind of a conundrum for believers because the word at the center of this verse, temptation, is a word that actually is the same word that means test or trial. So when you see the word temptation, you can actually see some people who replace this. They say, God would never lead you into temptation because James chapter 1 verse 13 says that God doesn't tempt. He doesn't lead us into temptation. And so some people say no, but the word can mean trial. What God will do is he'll lead you and he'll try you and he'll test you. Now, again, the difference is what one person has in mind for evil, God often can have in mind for good. Is that not what he said? Again, that's, the, that's what we get in the story of Joseph. The story of Joseph, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. What Satan means to cause you to stumble and to fall, God uses in your life to demonstrate that he can keep you from stumbling and falling. Jude, chapter 20, uh, verse 24. And so what we're seeing here, what is the nature of the request? If God won't lead us to, into temptation, he doesn't tempt us. But God does test us. I want you to think back to Abraham with his only begotten son, his only unique son, Isaac. And God says this in Genesis 22. You don't have to turn there, but remember, if you know your Bibles, the, after these things, God tested, same word, tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am. And then he goes on to test him about whether or not Abraham will be faithful to him. That's the picture here. Later on, God says, now I know you will be faithful to me because you have obeyed me. In other words, the test reveals that I was able to keep you from falling. The test was not a chance to make you fall. We also know, according to the Bible, that God is faithful. And in Jesus's life, the Bible says the spirit the Spirit drove him, thrust him into the wilderness full of the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit. What? God had testing in mind, but the devil had tempting in mind. It says to be tempted by the devil for 40 days. It was a, we usually think it was just the temptation we hear about. It was temptation over a course of a 40-day period. And then at his like, most vulnerable point, after he hadn't eaten anything, the devil said, I might as well get back to tempting you because now you're at your weakest point. I want to make you fall. God says, no, what I wanted to do is demonstrate now to him who's able to keep you from falling. Hmm. Again, this is a paradox. What's the nature of the request? We believe that this request, not leading us to temptation, is not just not leading us into trial. It is actually leading us into situations where temptation will be able to touch us. But it's actually God saying, but I will not abandon you there. I will not let you go through a temptation you can't handle. Think about 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Write it down if you want to check it out and make sure I'm not making up things. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted, period. No. Beyond your ability. In other words, he won't let you face something that he has not supplied you the resources in order to stand in the midst of. But with temptation, he also will even give you an escape hatch, a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So what the Bible says is that God will provide you the food you need so that you 
again can stand. God will provide you the forgiveness you need so that you will be in good standing. And God will provide you the protection you need so that as you walk with that forgiveness and yet come across new temptations that you will be able to stand. The nature of the request. But the need for the request. Why do we even need a request like this? Well, one, it's a reflex for those who understand the holiness of God. All of this is an outworking of what? Hallowed be your name. You're the king on the throne, and you deserve to be treated as holy, as other. You deserve loyalty. And he knows that there will be temptation, and temptation will always try to seduce you at its core to be disloyal to the king and to be do wrong to the one who deserves to be hallowed, to dishonor him. You remember what Joseph said to Potiphar's wife when she was tempting him? How could I do this evil in the sight of God? How could I offend my God? How could I be disloyal to God right now? In other words, God's holiness was in his view. It's in contrast to what King David did when he was tempted, right? And he has to admit against you alone have I sinned. In other words, the first thing that makes us even request this need for God's divine protection in the midst of temptations is that we understand that God is holy and he deserves our loyalty, not disloyalty. And so that's why we pray it. But it's not just the holiness of God, but it's also the weakness of man. This request comes out of a need because we understand our own weakness. Unless you're arrogant and think, well, I got this. <laughs> We understand the weakness of man. We understand what's in us, that we're capable of doing more than we thought. Psalm 19, write it down if you think I'm making it up. Look at it when you go home. Psalm 19, chapter, chapter 19, 12 to 13 says, who can discern his errors? Like, how many people really know what they're capable of? Every now and then you'll see snapped. Now, sometimes you could tell they were going to snap. Oh, well, he started out, he was just strangling rabbits when he was a kid. Okay, you probably was bound to go. But there's some people who, not, like, you, you never saw it coming. You never know what you're capable of. Full disclosure, something happened in the 13th year of my marriage. Something happened after all that, like, like that contributing to people's formation through preaching. Something happened in my life, and I said, I thought my worst days, because like, I used to do drugs. You know, I used to run with the rabbits and hunt with the hounds, as my father, who's from the South, used to say. And so I, 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 didn't, I thought all the bad, the super bad stuff was behind me. Then one day I did something that disappointed me in a way that I couldn't believe it. I was stuck on, I can't even believe I still did that kind of stuff. He says, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden thoughts. The psalmist says, God, I need you to help me with what's in me that's even hidden to me. We tried to tell you, I didn't see it. Forgive me. Keep back your servant. Here it is. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Let, let not the temptation overtake me. Give me that way of escape. Give me the resources that it takes to be hit with what the devil will throw, what the world will throw, what my own heart will pump out and not be overtaken. Then I shall be blameless, the psalmist says, and innocent of great transgression. In other words, 
we understand the holiness of God. He deserves our loyalty, but temptation will seduce you to be disloyal to the king. We also understand the weakness of man. We know that we're weak. To pray this prayer is to announce to God, I'm weak. I know I'm weak. I don't even like to admit I'm weak, but I'm weak. Therefore, I need you to deliver me from this temptation. Protect me, not only from what's dangerous in me, but from what's destructive to us. James, the one passage that tells us that God would not tempt people, in other words, seduce them to fall, goes on to say this. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. See, there it is again. Deliver me from what's in me. But then it goes on. Then desire, when it conceives, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. In other words, it's not only in you and dangerous for you, it's destructive to you. Oh, how many people are in jail? Again, I lost a brother, full disclosure. I lost a brother because temptation had its way with him. He died before he was 30. Why? He was a victim of the gun violence in retaliation for his own gun violence. Ah. In other words, sin will take you on a slippery slope, and not everybody makes it back before they go off the cliff. You're capable of far greater sins than you would think, which is why the song says, let your goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to you. He says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. You pray this because you know you're so weak, you're prone to wander. Having petitioned the father about these sins that he's been forgiven, he's petitioning about sins, or we, he and she, should petition God about the sins we need protection from. Let me just comment John Stott. If you've heard of John Stott, the Anglican powerhouse, who told us, if you were to put the food, the forgiveness, and this protection together, you've covered your bases. Thus, the three petitions which Jesus puts on our lips are beautifully comprehensive. They cover, in principle, all our human need, material, daily bread, spiritual, forgiveness of sins, and moral, deliverance from evil, which he's getting ready to, un we're getting ready to unpack. What are we doing, excuse me, what we are doing whenever we pray this prayer is to express our dependence upon God in every area of our human life. We're just talking about the nature of the request. Lord. I know you're going to let temptation come my way, and I know you will use it to try me and to expose me to see what's in me and to renew and to bring out of me what you've placed in me. You're going to use it that way. Satan will try to use it to make me disloyal to you. You'll use it to demonstrate that you're able to keep me faithful to you. And so that's the nature. And the necessity is because we're weak and you're holy and you require loyalty, so we need your help. Now, the necessity of the prayer being answered, but deliver us from the evil one. So this is a real short verse, right? <laughs> Lead me not into temptation, but, in the Greek, it's one of those strong buts. Like they say, the strongest adversative. Just want to use a big word today, all right? The strongest way to say but. But. deliver us from evil or the evil one. First of all, the necessity of God answering this is because of the kind of assistance we need. You need divine assistance. 
At the end of Ephesians chapter 6, God says this. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against what the devil will throw at you. The moment you tell me I need God's armor, you already know I'm about to go into something that's different than just man's armor. I mean, if you tell me it's raining outside, a raincoat will do. If you tell me that it's raining fire and brimstone, I'm going to need something more. If you say, here, put these on, and it's a hazmat suit, I'm like, well, wait, wait, why do I need a hazmat suit on, right? In other words, what I'm telling you to put on lets you know just the type of thing you're about to face. The Bible says the moment I tell you you need God's armor for this, your armor won't do. You ought to know that the adversary you're facing is a different kind of adversary, what we call on another level. And here, the type of assistance we need, but deliver me from the evil or the evil one. This word deliver is a word, now you know, you're you used to deliver, like, again, soteriology, our, our, our salvation. That's a word that means deliver. This is a different word. This word is a word, rusai. It means to snatch me from in your rescue. It means to snatch me. It's like what you do when you're when some child is about to fall in a pool, you don't care if you hurt them, you don't care if they cry, you snatch them from the danger. Again, that's what this is. The nature of the language is such that God wants you to know you need the kind of assistance where God has to actually get involved. And when God gets involved, he has to not worry about your feelings. He has to snatch you from the evil one. In other words, the type of assistance we need, Rusai, snatch me from, bring me out. By any means necessary, this word shows up when Paul talks about dangers he can't get out, even with his gift of gab, even with God's hand on his life. Second Corinthians, uh, excuse me, Second Timothy 3, 10 to 11, write it down, see it later if you think I'm making it up. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, my sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and at Conium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. The Lord had to get involved. They were rough in Iconium and Lystra and Derby. Every now and then I go to Atlanta. There's a black man in Atlanta. <clears throat> I stay in Wake Forest so much, you know. It's a small little Wake Forest, certain kind of demographic. Praise God, love it, peaceful. Then I go to Atlanta. It's a little more chocolate where I go. Just saying. And I can feel I need more help there <laughs> than I do on Southeastern's campus. Praise God for Southeastern's campus. I got a dope wife. I'm not saying, I'm just saying. He said, God had to snatch me. He even says the same thing in 4, 16. The Lord stood by me, strengthened me. Why? Because if God doesn't provide you the strength, you'll fall. He said, strengthen me so that through my message might be fully proclaimed to the Gentiles, they might hear it. So I was rescued, same word, from the lion's mouth. There it is. The Lord will rescue, there it is again, from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. That's what we need. We need the protection of God so that when you go to the store and see what you see, that God will keep you. When you go to work and see what you see, God will snatch you. When you're ready to give in and you're ready to lean, God will come in and say, I had to snatch you this time. Deliver me, God. Snatch me, God. 
Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite preachers, he was one that said, in the face of temptation, pray that God will either take away the desire or take away the opportunity. Take away the desire. Take away the opportunity. You're not going to get me with liver, I'm going to tell you right now. You're good. I'm good. There's no pull. I'll give you some liver with onions. <laughs> no, thank you. You might get me with gumbo from my brother was talking about <laughs> greens with no stems. Might get me with the greens. But take away my desire or the opportunity. So the type of assistance we need lets you know that God got to answer this prayer. That's why we must pray it. But then the nature of our adversary. Deliver us from the evil one. Now, this word is not evil one in our text. It's really the evil but it seems personified because the evil doesn't just wait in ambush. The evil is not passive while we're just doing our thing. The evil is very active. In other words, temptation is knocking at your door. Sin is crouching. It's, it's, it's at your door. The adversary would like to have us. The adversary would like to, to, to defeat us. The adversary, the kind of adversary. He's on the move. Augustine, St. Augustine. That North African theologian, <clears throat> he was known for, like, running away from some of his old flames because, you know, he was kind of, you know, in his day. <laughs> and Augustine was running, and every now and then he would give a nod to one of his old flames, and one is recorded where she was saying, uh, Augustine, Augustine, don't you remember? It's me. It's I. It's I. Augustine, Augustine, don't you remember? It's I. Augustine, you don't remember? It's I. <laughs> Augustine was run away, and he would say, I know it's you, but it's no longer me. In other words, I used to give in to you, but now that I've been converted by the cross and I've been empowered by the Spirit, I have the ability to not run to you, but run away from you because I'm not who I used to be. Temptation. We need God to deliver us and give us a desire to run in the opposite direction. Most of us, again, let me give full disclosure. When I came out of the world, I ran away from my father, who was a Christian, he raised me in the things of Christ. I thought I could live. I thought I could be faithful. I went to live with my secular side of my family. It wasn't long before I was doing everything you do when you don't know the Lord Jesus. I did it for about five years. God brought me back to himself. <clears throat> when I came back, again, I used to tell people I'm no longer doing what I used to do. <clears throat> but again, I was affected by that time that I was out there. But I started running in the opposite direction instead of running toward it. But Satan knew what I like. The kind of adversary is not passive, he's active. I like what that illustration about the, the fish on the hook, in the, I mean the worm on the hook. Dr. Tony Evans, one time he was telling us that he said, you know, fish are dumb, but they're not crazy. They won't go after a hook. Therefore, a fisherman will put a worm on the hook. Satan knows what to put on your hook. Again, it's not just evil, just in case you happen to pass by. There is an active evil one who knows what you like. He lays snares, and God himself must snatch us. 
here's what I want to do. I want to begin to land the plane. The nature of this request. Lead me not into temptation that is so powerful that I can't stand. Keep me in the midst of it. Do it, Lord God, because you're holy and you deserve loyalty. And alone, I will not be loyal. Do it because I'm weak and you are strong. And without your power, I won't make it. Do it because of the kind of assistance you provide weak people like myself. Do it because of the kind of adversary I'm dealing with. One who knows what I like and who employs every stratagem in order to make me disloyal to you. I don't know about you, but the Bible talks about this temptation in very stark language. Says that in Luke chapter 8, the Lord Jesus tells his people, there are people who, who, who build their house on like the rock. And there are people who get the gospel, and when the gospel hits their hearts like a rock, these have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of temptation or testing, same thing, the concept, when the heat is turned up, they fall away. In other words, right now, you're just a stone's throw away from falling away. Luke 22, 45 to 46, the Lord Jesus is praying he needs some support because even he was susceptible to his own remedies. And he says here, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation to his disciples. Serious, gang. It's serious. I want to conclude. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us we have a high priest who knows the kind of things that we're facing because he was tempted in every way yet without sin. The Bible says, therefore, let us with confidence draw near to his throne of grace. Come, seek him. Again, throne of grace and prayer. Come to the throne of grace and ask what? For mercy and find what? Help in time of need. This is part of our prayer right here, right? Seeking the help that we need, the assistance we need because of the adversary we face, because of the appetite within and the weakness that marks us. How did Jesus handle his temptation if he was tempted in every way? We can at least go to Luke chapter 4 where Jesus was bombarded with the temptations. And what did Jesus do? He used the word. What did Jesus do? He doubled down on worship. What did he do? He said that I won't take a shortcut to God's purposes. I will actually go God's way. Even though God's way took him to the cross, the way that was most painful for him, the way that was most self-abasing for him, the way that was so humiliating for him, he embraced God's way. And the Bible says, therefore, God exalted him. So this ends in doxology, they say. Doxology, that's a word that means this ends in us just glorifying God. He told me that I actually am closing out the series. So let's just remember what the prayer is, right? It started out with a God who deserves, again, doxology or glorying in. Father who's in heaven, glory be your name. Hallowed be your name. Have your way. Bring the kingdom. Do things your way on earth. Give us a sneak preview of coming attractions. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Do what you want to do, especially in us. So give us the bread we need to have the energy to go out. Give us the forgiveness we need to keep a short account with you so that our conscience is clear and our strength is in full swing. 
and then protect us from what will come down the pike that we can't see and deliver us, snatch us from that one who would have us to be disloyal and stop trusting you. Why? Because yours is the kingdom, yours is the power. Now, that's not in my text. You know why? Because that probably is a scribal insert, that doxology. But you know, it probably was a, a case of I can't help myself. It was, this deserves a, a, a doxology because yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory forever, amen. So God is worthy of it. God is worthy of it. Martin Luther King Jr. said, okay, yeah, I, okay, I can't make you love me, but the law can stop you from lynching me. What he was saying was the law can't produce. It can, it can stop some things, but it can't produce love in you. So in other words, if you don't love him and if you don't see him as holy and you don't see him as glorious and you don't see him as worthy and you don't see him as worth it, when temptation comes, you'll give in. But you and I have a resource. It is the God who says, pray this way. Talk to me about the temptation that will come your way and the strength I give. Talk to me about the snatching I do from the enemy. And I will never let you have temptation that you're unable to bear, but I will give you an escape. I will give you strength. I will give you supply. How many people are glad about it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, so much. So few words, but so much meat. with reconciliation, walk out these doors with their eyes fixed on the throne of grace. And would they, would we look to you for mercy and grace? Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you did on the cross. Demonstrates that even to the point of death, you give us what it takes to be faithful. And now we ask that if anyone in here is not a believer, that their hearts would be kindled by the God who is so good and who will do so much good for us. Bless this place in the name of the Lord Jesus.